Hello everyone, Callie Hannah here with a quick disclaimer from the future, 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 future. <laughs> the episode you are about to hear was recorded prior to my public coming out as a transgender woman. As such, you will hear myself and others refer to me by my dead name and he, him pronouns, and that is not how I want to be referred to now. I, well, I go by Callie and I use she, her pronouns. Uh, the rest of the episode has been left as is for the purposes of historical preservation, but uh, just know that it is not accurate to my current uh, gender identity. Thank you, and enjoy the show. The hipster and the nerd. Yes, hipster and the nerd. The nerd. One went to the genius. The other is quite absurd. Exactly which is which. Off the fence is which. Yes, good sir. The hipster and the nerd. 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 Hipster and the nerd. Created by Steven Spielberg? No. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Hipster and the Nerd, the podcast where we discuss movies, TV shows, comic books, video games, and all manner and of ghost taxes. pop culture <laughs> to see what we can make of it. And specifically, we are in a new episode of Rocket Ship Roulette, the segment of the show where we talk about random movies while random nonsense happens to us in space. Uh, I am Chris Hanna. With me, of course, is my co-host, Brian Brecker, and also... For those of you who were expecting Amphibia Season 1, second half, like we said we were going to do at the end of the last episode, I'm sorry, some scheduling conflicts came up, um, so we're doing this instead. I'm and <laughs> this show is called Rocket Ship Roulette. I already said and that. <laughs> yes, and you are on Earth, I am in space, and with me is my friend, uh, Starius Cockius, or otherwise known <laughs> as Starcock, the ghost of a man that I murdered from the species of proto-humans that were basically humans before humans were a thing, and he is being pursued right now by the ghost IRS, the agent of which is actually his brother, and he blames his brother because he didn't land on a grenade for him. And oh <laughs> shit, he's calling in right now, he's calling in right now. Oh shit. Hello, brother. I see you are still in debt. To the ghost IRS, and you are still dead. I think it is funny. <laughs> what do you want, brother? I want to see you dead, double dead, super ghost. Super ghost. I want to see you non-existent. That's not a very brotherly thing to think. You're right, and it wasn't very brotherly of you not to kill yourself for me. That is an impossible demand. <laughs> You don't know that. We all know we go to the same place, the Well of Souls. Oh, uh, here comes Zilgi. Zilgi, uh, by the way, we're inside of a space manta ray also. Oh, Ooh. still, we're still there, huh? Yeah, we're inside the belly of the space manta ray named Zilgi. Hello. I see there are fraternal shenanigans going on. Why don't you all just <laughs> hug it out like brothers do? Well, that is a very reasonable suggestion. Oh, shit. Oh, shit, he's got the ghost IRS. Tax lasers on us! Oh no! You are about to be repossessed from oh life. Oh my god! Anyway, today we're talking about Night of the Comet, and I accuse my parents. Because yes. even though we're in space, we have a television and the uh, 
Starcock, who is my friend now, but he also still hates me because I killed him, he makes <laughs> us watch these random movies. So, today we're going to be talking about Night of the Comet, and I accuse my parents. Chris, which movie should we talk about first? I believe we should talk about Night of the Comet first. Alright, Night of the Comet is a 1984 cult horror action comedy coming-of-age film yes. and science fiction written and directed by Thomas Everhart. Uh, this movie is fantastic, so I think we should get into the plot. Yes. Uh, the Earth is passing through the tail of a comet, an event which has not occurred in 65 million years, and coincided yeah. with the extinction event that wiped out the dinosaurs. Yeah, and everyone's, and ev and there's some scientists who are like, hey guys, you know, just comet. I don't know, feels like it might be kind of bad, but then everyone else is like, comet party, comet party, woo! So then they yeah! go underground. <laughs> yeah. They go underground, and we're introduced to some of the best 1980s teenager characters ever written. Yeah, they are uh, very good. Like uh, Regina Belmont, who is addicted to Tempest and a movie theater employee. Uh, so basically, yes. uh, gamer girl, uh, but yes. awesome. Uh, she has the biggest hair in the world. It's fantastic. It's wa it's wonderful. <laughs> it's wonderful hair, absolutely. Like We all wish we had this hair. Uh, including one of the characters in this film, which we're going to get to. So she's playing this game, and then she eventually calls up her sister, who is also a really great character. She is a uh, cheerleader, and uh, they have they seem I'm pretty sure they're stepsisters, but they yeah, share the same mother. Yeah, the they mom share the is same a mom. Total and the bitch. Is different, and the, yeah, the mom is a bitch, and the, this family <laughs> dynamic is toxic. <laughs> my, my one of my favorite lines is uh because uh, her mom is cheating on her husband who is in Honduras fighting uh, with the Sandinista rebels yes. against the left-wing government, which is a, a very political uh, thing from the 1980s. We were funding Sandinista terrorists in the 1980s. Oh, dear. And there's, a, there's a bit of this political subtext that's like a satire of Reaganomics yeah. and 80s culture that I think permeates the entire film. Uh, but there's a great scene where uh, the cheerleader daughter... Uh, Sam, she says, why do you need uh, your, the next door neighbor, Chuck? You were bored with an asshole. You don't need him. <laughs> <laughs> and then the mother sl slaps her and then they get, then she slaps back and then she punches her daughter in the face because that's what great parents do. Because, um, <laughs> and for the record, the that was, a, for the record, that was a joke. <laughs> of course. Yes. And, uh, while playing the Tempest video game, all the other high scores are hers, except for one, which is called DMK. DMK. Remember yeah. that for later. <laughs> mm -hmm. She stays after the theater closes to help her boyfriend Larry, the theater's projectionist, sneak back in so he can loan out a film of It Came From Beyond oh, Space. Oh, he is actually her boyfriend. I, right, yes. <laughs> yeah, because I thought they were just like two friends that happened to have sex one time. <laughs> well, that is basically their dynamic, but Wikipedia says they're boyfriend and girlfriend. Okay, um, okay, Wikipedia, sure. And he's, like, sure. doing this side hustle where, like, he's selling, loaning out 35mm prints to people, which is pretty funny. Yes. Um, and he offers to pay for her assistance from what he expects to earn and uh, basically says that she's a prostitute, which is weird. Uh, she's like, you're worth it a lot more than $15. Uh... <laughs> So Reggie and Larry uh -huh. spend the night in the steel-lined projection booth and have sex, and this protects them from I also the, love, this and the, evil death comet race. The, the okay, I do want to say, say uh, I, this, uh, this scene has probably the line that made me love Regina immediately, which is yes. where 
He's like, you know, we're in the steel lining. Not even Su Superman can, can't see through this. It's like, Superman can see through anything. Not steel. It's the one thing he can't see through. That's lead, idiot. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, she knows her Superman lore. Yes. That's the other thing. Yeah. And the next morning, a gloomy reddish haze covers the sky, and there are no signs of light but piles of I red dust and heaps of clothes everywhere. I can't believe everyone is fucking dead. <laughs> Meanwhile, Reggie's 16-year-old sister, Sam, argues with her mother, and uh, Sam then uh, basically runs away for the night, uh, <laughs> and she spends the night in a steel backyard shed. And when they wake up, she's back at home, and uh, everybody's dead, but except for them, because they were in undercover. And unaware that anything has occurred, Larry goes outside and is killed by a zombie wielding a pipe wrench. And I like how the zombies talk in this movie. Yeah, the I zombies think it's a lot can of talk. Um, and the they're, wrench like, is, intelligent. Yeah, and the wrench is slimy for some reason, <laughs> by the way. Yes. And after playing the video game to replace DMK's initials with her own, Reggie goes looking for Larry outside, mistaking the red overcast sky as bad smog, which is something you can believe in Los Angeles. Yep, and 100%. She, uh, what I love about the, the scenes outside is that they clearly just tinted the top part of the frame red, yes. but it's really effective, and I like it. Yes. I, it's a great post-apocalyptic energy. So she quickly encounters the zombie but escapes on Larry's motorcycle. Yes, this movie also has badass teenagers on motorcycles. And she heads home to find her sister, and they surmise that they both spent the night in steel containers and thus were saved from yeah, the comet's effects. Which is a good explanation. Although I will say, there is there is one line where, like, that. so, because cause I think it's Regina trying to convince Sam that, like, of what has happened. And yeah. he's, she's like, you know, where are the kids? It's Saturday morning. Where are the goddamn kids? And I'm like, okay, like, yes, obviously there's an apocalypse scenario. But I feel like on a Saturday morning, the kids are most, especially in the 80s, the kids are most likely inside watching cartoons. They're not outside. Like, I mean, it might depend on what time. Well, there's like, also no traffic in all of Los Angeles. That is, a, yeah, that is a much better indicator that the apocalypse has happened. <laughs> So the sisters race to a local radio station after they hear a disc jockey on air to try and find other people that are alive. But then they go in, and I love this set. It's so good. It has, like, these neon lights everywhere, and there's this fantastic usage of color in this movie. It's yeah. so well shot, and I don't know why this movie isn't more talked about. Yeah, it's, it's weird, because here's the thing. Like, it's not like it was not you know it, 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 it it's not like it was unsuccessful like it was made for seven hundred thousand dollars and, and it made 14.4 yeah, million dollars point four million which is you know i mean it's like it's not a record breaker but it's nothing to sneeze at and mm -hmm. it's a cult hit it influenced the creation of buffy of buffy yes. summers of buffy the vampire slayer and uh, in october 2018 orion pictures hired roxanne benjamin to write a remake um, which, although, which has not materialized yet. Yeah, as of as of April 2019, she had submitted the script, but uh, since then, nothing has come of it. Some of that might be pandemic delays, but also... Uh, <laughs> I don't know who's greenlighting a Night of the Comet remake. I That's would. the thing, is that this movie, it's like, like, it's really good, but... I don't. I've never heard a lot of people talk about it until I found it on Shutter one day. <laughs> what if they you know? made? A, what if they made a Night of the Comet legacy sequel? <laughs> yeah. Oh, mm, uh, 
Sure. Okay. <laughs> but it would have to be a satire of like a sequels. Okay. That's the way it could work. Yes. Uh, so they come across another survivor in the radio station, Hector Gomez, who spent the night in the back of the steel truck. And when Sam talks into the microphone, uh, which is hilarious, she's like putting up all the, the volume and stuff and uh, speaking to the whole city. She's like, you're spe- you're hearing one third of the owner of the greater Los Angeles area. <laughs> yes. And then she's like, all, all, all tests are canceled. All The drinking age is now 10. But you do have to show ID because let's be real. <laughs> <laughs> and Sam talks into the microphone and she is heard by researchers in the underground inst- installation out in the desert. And as they listen to Reggie, Sam and Hector debate what to do. And the scientists note that the zombies, though less exposed to the comments, will eventually disintegrate to dust themselves. Hector leaves to check if any of his family survives, but promises to return as soon as possible. And that's when we get the scene where he's like in his house, he's looking around, it's so sad because everybody knows he's dead. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. He takes some belongings, and then on he goes. So Reggie and Sam, I love this scene so much. They go shopping for guns and clothing oh, at a mall, yes. and they play Girls Just Want to Have Fun. Yes, that scene is and so good. And they have a montage. It's so much fun. I love the it. The montage is great, and I also love the scene earlier in the movie where they're just sort of, uh, they, they get, um, I think Hector gives them guns earlier on, like the standard, yeah. like more like standard pistols. And Sam says, and I quote, you know, Daddy would have gotten a Susie's. <laughs> <laughs> I love that line, yeah. The fact that and that's a real line is proof that more people should talk about this movie. <laughs> Night of the Comet is amazing. Yes. So then when they're in the mall, they uh, are starting to be watched by the evil stock boys. And oh my god, I love them so much. Oh uh, so, my god. So they get into a firefight with them, and they're shooting back and forth with really good action, honestly. Yeah, they, it's and... good action, although I will say that the evil stock boys have even worse aim than stormtroopers like yes dear god <laughs> <laughs> and uh they eventually take sam hostage and then we get the best line of the movie when uh basically regina comes out with a hostage of her own one of the stock boys and then he says i'm sorry miss i can't have you holding one of my people hostage even if you pull the trigger i can still take him out and you come on willie she means it miss you're not getting the point. I can't have you holding one of my people hostage. You're crazy! I'm not crazy, I just don't give a fuck! <laughs> Which is the moment when I realized this movie was connecting with me on a spiritual level. Uh, I love this movie so much. So the girls are taken prisoner, but are saved by a rescue team sent by the scientists. And it's actually revealed that the stock boys are, like, slowly mutating zombies, which I thought was interesting. Because these aren't your run-of-the-mill zombies. These are highly intelligent zombies. Like, they're dying, but they're going to have fun and go crazy (laughs) while they do it. Exactly. Uh, So Reggie is taken back to the base, and Audrey White, a disillusioned scientist, offers to dispose of Sam... Uh, by the way, this is a really funny moment is when they were going to the mall and the scientists were watching them. They were like, it's a, where would they go? The mall. It's a symbol of consumerism. <laughs> <laughs> this is the face of consumerism. <laughs> yes. And Audrey White basically is the disillusion because what they're basically trying to do is since they left the vents open like idiots, they all got infected with the zombie disease and they're going to try and use the healthy people as like, blood donors to keep them alive longer like they're the skexies and the dark crystal <laughs> more or less yeah 
And um, Audrey White obviously is like, this is a pretty fucked up plan. Yeah, because so, Audrey is like, hey, maybe I don't want to kidnap people and steal their blood. <laughs> maybe, and, especially uh, considering that many of those people are children. Yes. Actual children. <laughs> And she offers to dispose of Sam, whom she diagnosed as having been exposed to the comet due to her developing rash, which is mentioned a couple times in the movie, and to wait for Hector to return. And then she fakes euthanizing Sam by injecting her with only a sedative, and then she kills the only remaining scientist. She's gone rogue now. And uh, when Hector returns with, uh, after an encounter with a zombie child, Audrey briefs him on the situation and then gives herself a lethal injection as she herself has been exposed. And I love that scene where she's just like, like, she has a gun and she's just like ready to die and she's just pissed off. She has to keep spouting exposition at this guy because <laughs> she just wants to die. Yes. And uh, Sam and Hector set out to rescue Reggie now. Uh, and back at the base, it is revealed that the researchers had suspected and prepared for, for the comet's effects, but inadvertently left the ventilation system open and the fans running during the comet's passage. Now, the deadly dust permeated their base, so Reggie, who has become suspicious, escapes and discovers that the dying scientists have hunted down and rendered healthy survivors brain dead. And I really like that one scene where she's being interviewed by the doctor, and she, he's just like, have you ever had hepatitis? Yes! I love <laughs> have that. Have you ever part. had hepatitis? Have you ever had hepatitis? <laughs> <laughs> it's very good. Uh, so they harvest their untainted blood to keep the disease at bay, and uh, there's a couple other children there also. And uh, while they are desperately searched for a cure, Reggie saves a boy and a girl before they are processed, then unplugs the other victims from their life support machines. Sam and Hector arrive and rescue the trio and blow up the scientists Yay! in this great explosion. Eventually, the rain washes away the red dust, leaving the sky clear, and Reggie pairs up with Hector, and they assume parental roles with the kids that they saved. And Sam feels left out because she's always been mad that her sister keeps taking all the men in her life. <laughs> and she literally, there's a, there's a scene earlier where, like, she's like, she's like, oh, you took literally the last man on the planet. <laughs> oh. and, and then they, and then they look at each other like they're mad and then they laugh about it because they're the best sisters in all of cinema. <laughs> they are very Am I good. wrong, Chris? Am I wrong, Chris? Um, hmm. Sisters the best in, sisters. Sisters in cinema. Hmm. I'm actually. They I'm trying. To, I'm are try the best. I, I. I. I feel like I should have an argument for that. But you don't. But, but I don't. I, exactly. I mean, I. I, I like. Like the first. Like the only. Like for some reason, the only other cinematic sisters I can think of are the are the are the two Black Widows, <laughs> Natasha and and Yelena, and they're, they're not even good. on the same level. I mean, they're pretty good. They're pretty good. Not they're but, not as good as Reggie and Sam. I would watch an entire TV show of just Reggie and Sam in this post-apocalypse. It would be make so good. A Night of the Comet prestige streaming series where it's yes. just. Where okay, I've got it. It's 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 after the movie, and like the the you know the kids have grown up, and it's basically it's it's kind of like revival iCarly slash like <laughs> Fuller House slash you know Ravens Home type sitcom shenanigans post apocalyptic under LA. the with a post apocalyptic background. And, yes. and and like Sam is the only one who is still acknowledged. Everyone's dead. All <laughs> dead. The world is terrible. And meanwhile, everyone else is having goofy sitcom shenanigans. shenanigans. Yes. <laughs> like that is that. I would watch that show right away. I I don't I don't care who 
I don't care what platform. Somebody, the Netflix. Well, you know, girls, they just want to have fun. They do just want to have fun. Yes. And frustrated, she ignores Reggie's warning about crossing a deserted downtown street against the still operating signal light, claiming that there is nobody left. (laughs) Sam is almost run over by a sports car driven by Danny Mason Keener, a survivor of her own age. And after apologizing, he invites her to go for a ride, and they drive off, and the car has the initials on the plate... D M K. That blew Cinema. my fucking mind. <laughs> Cinema. <laughs> Cinema. <laughs> this movie's amazing. It is a religion. It is fantastic, and I love it. Chris, what did you think of Night of the Common? Yeah, I think the, I think this movie's great. I mean, like, I I won't say it's perfect. I mean, there's some there's some outdated stuff. Like, there is a there is an F there's a little homophobia. Yeah, there's some homophobia, and there's um. Uh, the, at least the first time I watched it, I, I've noticed. I've noticed one of my one of the one of the things I tend to come back to a lot of these. Like it's great, but I wouldn't give it like full ten out of ten or anything. Is that the p- pacing always feels ever so slightly off for a reason I can't particularly explain. I think like, it's because it's mostly jumping between multiple different B movie plots. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So it it, it it sometimes feels like the pacing doesn't quite gel as much as it could. But overall, like it's, I, it's a it's a it's a zombie movie, a post apocalyptic city film, and an evil scientist film. All yeah, it's mashed together. It's kind of juggling a lot. <laughs> Um, but I think, I still say overall it works very well. I really like the characters. It's super hammy, and the atmosphere is great, and there's really- The 80s music. Really great. Yeah, the music, the the synth (laughs) score. The the amazing uh, neon cinematography is fantastic. Uh, The action is great. I love the dialogue. I think the characters are super funny. I basically agree with everything you just said. Night of the Comet is a great 80s classic cult horror science fiction coming of age comedy drama that you should watch. And it is wonderful. And yeah, I think we've said everything we yeah, want to it's, say. It's a great movie. I think, uh, yeah, it's a great movie. I think more people should should watch it. It's on Tubi for free right now. Yes. You so, have no excuses. Not so you to have watch no it. excuse. I mean, un- unless and un- I mean, unless you really want to watch it on a TV and your TV doesn't have Tubi on it and you can't get AirPlay to work on your laptop, that is the only that is the only <laughs> legitimate excuse. <laughs> I'd like to point out that the director made a movie called "I Was a Teenage Faust." I think that's pretty funny, and he also wrote "Honey, I Blew Up the Kid." Why does that make a weird amount of sense to me? <laughs> <laughs> So on to our next film, I Accused My my Parents. parents. Alright, I Accused My Parents is a World War II era 1944 American exploitation film. At the time, they didn't use the term exploitation, this was called a scare film, because it's basically a moral panic about what if you don't raise your children right, and they'll automatically become criminals. If you uh, neglect your children for even one weekend, they will turn to a horrible life of crime. <laughs> yes. Uh, so the movie starts out with mild-mannered team James Jimmy Wilson, played by Robert Lull, appears before a judge on charges of manslaughter. All right. Actually, can, can I can I say one thing before we continue the plot? So yes. the director of this is a man named Sam Sam Newfield, Newfield, who I found out in the process of prepping for this is a man who has directed. Over two hundred, who directed over two hundred and fifty narrative feature films over the course of his career. 
Yes. That is fucking insane. <laughs> <laughs> Including uh, such favorites as Skip Along Rosenbloom, Jungle Flight, Gas House Kids, and uh, The Monster Maker. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Fun. Uh, so yeah, he appears before the judge on charges of manslaughter, and this is really uh, inaccurate because the judge is speaking directly to him when really he should be talking to his legal representation. The judge can't just like speak to a defendant. I mean, I don't I think. Do, I mean, yeah, I don't. I don't think. So. Although, I mean, I don't know how 1940s criminal court law work well maybe criminal court law basically the procedures basically haven't changed in a long time so we're already getting off the bat and this already makes no sense so when asked to speak in his own defense because he's like you haven't talked this entire time why don't you tell us why you really killed that person he reflects to say well i don't know if i should say this but i i accuse my parents i accuse my parents title drop (laughs) title drop yep and uh, for not giving him the home life that he should have had. And if you listen to me, you'll understand where I'm coming from. And she ain't and then that we go swell. Into, and then we go into an, ala- and a, into an elaborate flashback sequence for that ca- comprises most of the film, wherein the accusation is not relevant again until the last, like, two minutes. <laughs> also, um, I'm pretty sure no judge would just allow the defendant to just make a direct appeal to the jury <laughs> at the end of a trial. Well, it, I mean, unless the idea is that he is defending... It makes no sense. I mean, I guess the idea of, is is that if he's defending himself... Which he shouldn't de- do. Which, which he shouldn't do, but he is. That's what he's doing. Okay. So therefore, he's technically his own lawyer, and right. lawyers have the ability I guess this to is make his closing argument. to the jury. Yeah, it's his closing argument. Yes. But ideally, this sort of thing should have been coming out in opening testi- in opening uh, statements or in the argument phase or, like, the witnesses. Because I feel like, because I, I don't know, I feel like a movie, if you hear the title, I Accuse My Parents, I feel like you'd expect that to be more of a courtroom drama? Which I, it is not. <laughs> which it's not. <laughs> the film flashes back to a day in high school when Jim was given an award for his essay. Man, he is the best essay in the world. Everybody loves his essay. Describing the ideal home he supposedly Everyone has. Everyone wants to have sex with this essay. <laughs> because he is a fucking liar. <laughs> this is the thing, is... He's not just, like, a delinquent. He is a pathological liar. He's a pathological liar. Um, but he doesn't... But nobody in the movie seems to realize that he's a pathological liar. Uh- because he does it out of insecurity for his parents being terrible to him. And he wants to have a better home life than he does have. So he goes around telling lies all the time. And that quote-unquote terribleness mostly amounts to... They leave him alone on the weekend with some money. And also, and- no, they're, they're, his mother's an alcoholic. Okay, well, the, okay, there times. is that one scene... No, no, it's not just one scene because she shows up drunk to their school well, meeting. Well, yeah, no, also. that is the one scene I was th- I was thinking of. Yeah, and then also his father is emotionally distant and verbally accosts her all the time about going around and getting drunk in town all the time. Well, I mean, that's um, just that's just my experience with fathers. Is that is okay? That, is that not normal? <laughs> <laughs> Tell me later if you want me to keep that in. Uh, so no, 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 you can honestly. Uh, uh, I. <laughs> I that's not normal. But anyway, no, so, uh, I, I'm aware. 
So, uh, the theme of this movie is really an exploration of nature versus nurture in the psychological dimension of a character study based around this one juvenile delinquent. The problem is, is that the way it's executed is absolutely awful. So, eager to tell his parents, he goes home to a house full of empty liquor bottles and his parents distracted by arguing with each other, and which has the best line in the whole movie when he says, I won the essay contest. His dad said, wait, that's swell. Here's $5. Here's $5. <laughs> and what, what I also don't get about this scene is that right before his parents come, like a friend from his school comes over. Yeah. And, and she's just in the house. Yeah. Well, yeah. Well, one, she's just in the house randomly. And, mm-hmm. and two, she start there in high school and she starts pouring a drink for herself. And the parents yeah. are perfectly fine with this underage drinking for some reason you see this is why i'm pushing back on your statement that they're basically normal parents these parents suck i are terrible (laughs) they are enabling not only their own alcoholism but the alcoholism of other children okay but the present true but the movie presents them very casually (laughs) like it's just the movie the like the way the movie kind of presents it is less a uh, complete profile on these parents being terrible and more, more, why did you have to leave your kid alone for the weekend <laughs> with some money? He would turn to a life. I don't know. I think they're pretty how explicit on how terrible leave. the parents are. <laughs> Uh, I mean, I mean, yeah, but, they they do some. I it's hard to it is hard to tell what the intentions of this movie are because it is not. A well, very it's to well scare parents. Film. It's it's to scare parents into okay. being better parents. It's to scare parents. Okay, but yes, but it's it's it is hard to determine what exactly what communication methods they are going for before the very end of the movie, where the judge just turns to the camera and says what the intentions of the movie are. <laughs> So you're saying it, it, it's not very effective as moral propaganda? No, it's not because it's very. It's, I would agree with the you. The tone is very agree. poorly communicated because because the, here's the fact that the dad supports underage drinking doesn't seem to be presented to the by the film as a shocking thing. Like it feels like a oh hey sport yeah have some of that. I think liquor. it's one of those like, things where it would be just so generally shocking to a 1940s audience that they didn't have to emphasize it. I mean, maybe, but still. This is back in the day when showing your ankles was, like, scandalous. Well, yeah, but yeah, but if you showed your ankles, they would, like, make a point of, oh, you showed the ankles. Like, but they, well, they don't I, even I make a point of that. I think you're just pointing out that this movie is poorly directed. Yes, it is. <laughs> okay. So, uh, what then happens is uh, he basically convinces his mother to go to a town, uh, a school meeting, because his essay, which was about the ideal home life in a fairly patriarchal kind of way um but basically uh, inspired the teacher to ask her mother who he basically made out to be the ideal of motherhood to come by and when she comes to the to the school meeting she's drunk and then somebody literally says ha she's, she's drunk, drunk. <laughs> that's my, which that is hilarious my favorite line of the whole movie is just someone going ha she's drunk <laughs> how shocking uh, yeah, and, um, then he has to be like, Mother, what are you doing? Come back here and go away. So basically, let's psychoanalyze Jimmy for a bit. <laughs> Jimmy has, uh, inattentive father and an alcoholic mother, uh, two parents that are not well-equipped to care for him, uh, and because of this, he basically feels a sense of insecurity, and that insecurity leads him to lie about a lot of things, uh, and then that lying eventually gets him involved in the mafia. Yes. 
that does and we'll get happen. to that. <laughs> but it's weird that the movie the movie the movie presents this very nonchalantly. Like again, right. it's not directed very well. Well, that's because we're There's... not supposed to judge him. We're supposed to judge his actions as the sins of the parents. Again, and that is the pro- like yeah. That and that is the come that becomes clear at the very very end of the movie, but what is communicated throughout most of the movie is that Jimmy is just a a deeply fucked up person, completely on his own. Like well, that's my point. And the is parents, that the movie, the movie makes him too, the movie makes him too pathological to the point where you have to feel like I don't know his testimony comes off less engaging you were trying to make a movie where the parents are the worst people ever and you were trying to make the argument that having terrible parents leads to delinquency which is not a hard thing to prove like sure okay and then you fucked it up <laughs> you, you fucked you, up this very basic story you fucked up this very easy thing to do just like the oscars mm-hmm. did last night when they butchered we don't talk about bruno hey yes that's a timely reference to something i did not watch so, <laughs> Then, later, his father, uh, played by John Miljan, gives him money instead of celebrating his birthday with him and goes out of town. So Jim gets a job selling yeah, shoes. And now, and, yeah, because I'd like to point out just, I mean, we're gonna, we're, we're gonna talk about money a couple of times, I think. But, like, yeah. at the, uh, when he first arrives to the house, there is a note from, from his mom that says she has left $10, um, all, all, and then... Uh, the father gives him five dollars, and now she ha- and now he has a whole fifteen dollars, um, which is a lot of. And then he gets twenty for his birthday, so that's thirty-five. Thirty-five dollars, and then he gets a job as a shoe salesman, where the shoe where the salesman said where the guy who runs the shoe store is like, we will I will pay you twenty-five dollars a day. Um, no, twenty-five dollars a week. Okay, okay, it's it's he said really, twenty-five a week. It's inconsistent because later the 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 later. The girlfriend says twenty five a week, but in the it the, at the at no 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 I remember this specifically. The guy said twenty five a week. Now the job pays twenty five dollars a week, and you get an hour off for lunch. He said twenty five a day. <laughs> Jim gets a job selling shoes after the school and uh, meets Torch singer Kitty Reed, who has a great song. Are you happy? Oh my God, the songs are with so bad. Your work. The songs are so bad. But are you happy with your work? Uh, I mean, what kind of work are we? Ta- what which which work are you talking? I mean, are you happy because i i because this work? actress because because first of all the songs just go on forever you'll like, be happy with your work when you're in love and also <laughs> kitty reed the the actress playing kitty is mary beth hughes mary beth hughes um i'm i apologize but she is not a very good singer <laughs> How dare you? I'm, like, it's not terrible, but it's very flat. She is happy in her work. <laughs> and her work is singing. And good, okay, and I'm glad that she's happy. But mm-hmm. it's not a very, it's not very good singing. <laughs> My favorite scenes in all the, in all this movie are the parts where Jimmy just starts lying to people about how great <laughs> his parents are. I think it's really funny every time he does it. Uh, he delivers a pair of shoes to her house and then meets her later at the nightclub where she works. The two begin dating, Jim unaware that Kitty is also the mole of gangster Charles Blake, played by George Meeker, who yes. specializes in fencing stolen jewelry. So Blake identifies Jimmy as sufficiently gullible and recruits him to deliver packages <laughs> and messages at work and in school. He gets him roped into this by basically giving him a blank check and then says, Hey, if you want to get paid back for all your work, you gotta work for me, huh? Yeah. You see? <laughs> you gotta talk really fast if you're in a noir film and you're a gangster in the 1940s. Yeah. <laughs> 
micro machines. <laughs> so Jim gets paid highly for his errands, so he never questions what exactly he is delivering. And I think he's just honestly so fucking stupid, <laughs> he cannot possibly have the mens rea necessary to be convicted of anything. Because that would require him to have thoughts, and he's just head empty, no thoughts. No thoughts. Himbo. No thoughts at all. <laughs> he, you're just like, hey, deliver this incredibly suspicious package of white powder. He's like, sure, boss, where to? I'm sure oh, gee, just, that's swell. I'm sure it's just sugar. <laughs> it's definitely just sugar. With that said, I feel like a realistic version of a 1940s criminal court would still probably find him guilty. <laughs> yes. So Charles forces Kitty to break up with Jimmy after he realizes their relationship is becoming serious, and Charles wants to be with Kitty, see? And, and also there's another song that goes on for way too long. Yes, there is. And shortly after, Jim drives two of Charlie's henchmen to a late-night errand, which turns out to be a robbery in which a night watchman is shot. And this is exactly the plot of an IT crowd episode. Fun facts. Yes, yes and it is. Then realizing what he's gotten himself into, Jimmy turns to his father, who rebuffs him and is like, Ah, oh, who cares? I don't... It doesn't matter to me. <laughs> and then Jimmy confronts Blake himself, but Blake threatens to kill him, you see, if he does not continue working for him. Yeah. And after the police identify Jimmy as the driver of the getaway car, Blake sends his men to kill Jimmy. But the execution is interrupted when two passerbys happen on the scene, causing the men to flee and leave behind a beaten Jimmy. And uh, fearing for his life, Jimmy packs a suitcase because he's oh, yeah, gonna the, run away. Because I packing. stole that joke from Evis T3K. I should be, you should be thankful that I haven't stolen more. <laughs> because there's a lot of good ones. It's a great episode of Evis T3K. <laughs> yeah, but, uh, and, and most of and like the, if you Google, I accuse my parents, and you look at the streaming service it's a, is it's available on. Um, most of them are referring to the MST3K version and not the original yes. version. <laughs> and even when I watch this, there's just like these long silences where I'm just like thinking to myself the MST3K jokes in my head. I'm like, oh, this is where they say this. Yeah, you there's know, a lot I, of... I, I, I own this one that on is, VHS tape. Yeah, because that is one of the episodes... I don't know if uh, classic MST3K is still on Netflix currently, but when Netflix it's did... It's all on YouTube, um, I think. Most of it's on YouTube. Well, uh, okay, but the, the point I was making is that when Netflix did the new one, they also <laughs> released a lot of good chunk of classic episodes onto their platform, and one of them was this one, so I have seen that one. Yeah, um, and just for the record, we watched this movie without any reference, Yeah, we, so we watched, watched this pure. We did you know? watch the original version, though I had seen the MST2K episode before, but it's been a few years now uh, since yeah. then. So I don't remember a lot. It's of, one of their best episodes. It's one of their I highly best. recommend it. Because I do yeah. still remember when I accuse my parents because I hate, hate them. them. <laughs> yes. So fearing for his life, Jimmy packs a suitcase and spends an indeterminate amount of time hitchhiking and train hopping. He ends up in a small town where he attempts to rob a diner, but then the best character, the kindly owner and cook, played by George Lloyd, Al, recognizes Jimmy as a good boy in a bad situation. It's like, hey, Sean, why don't you put down that gun? I've seen you people like you come. Oh my all God, the time. he's Uncle Ben. <laughs> and you and you're so hungry, and I always I always feed them, and then they always pay me back. People are good on the whole, you see. Why is why wasn't the movie <laughs> about this guy? I Al like is the guy. best character. Al is the best. Al is like the only actually good character in the whole movie. Like he's just yeah. running his little diner, minding his own business. He's he feeds homeless people, and they all he he offers him basically. He comes in, and this guy is basically about to rob him, and he's just like. Put down the gun. Listen, do you want a job? Do you, do you want, want to live with me? Do you want to, do you want to go me? to church with me every Sunday? All I, yeah, all I ask is that you go to church with me every Sunday because if you live in my house and don't go to church, and I because I work at the church as an usher when I'm not right. doing uh, the 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 restaurant. 
So if you so if you live <laughs> in my house and don't go to church with me, that might be weird. <laughs> like that is that is the only yeah. condition he has. That has he's not expected to pay rent. He is not expected to uh, clean the house in any way. He is not expected to also. He's got to go to church and, and do to, work. He just has to work at the restaurant. And go to church with him, and that's and and the church. That's service, the best gig I've ever heard in my life. And also, the church service um is only an hour. Watch if you've watch if you've been to most church services. No, they're not. They they, <laughs> go, they go way too but fucking. Also, long. you'll but, notice here going back to the money thing is he's getting paid fifteen dollars an hour, fifteen dollars a week, which of course is ten dollars less than he made at the shoe store. But the thing is, is that he's also getting room and board. Yeah, he's getting for room free. and board. Which must be much, much more uh, expensive for any other job. All in all, it's a, it's a, it's a greater value. <laughs> it's a, he's getting a great steal here. Yeah. I mean, honestly. I would anyway. honestly. I wish the movie had ended here, and then we had gotten a whole spin-off TV series about Jimmy and and Cookhouse <laughs> Adventures in the in the cafe. <laughs> that would have been yeah. great. Like, After a period of living and working for Al, Jimmy's life straightens up, and he confesses to his crime. And then Al agrees to accompany Jimmy back home to turn himself in. Back in Jimmy's hometown, Al takes him to confront Kim Kitty, who confesses that she was forced to break up with him. Jimmy then goes to confront Blake one more time, which is really dumb because he could have just went to the police, had them arrest him. But instead, he goes to Blake before the cops show up to be like, I'm telling you, Blake, I'm sending the cops to you and you're going to have to tell them everything. And Blake obviously takes out a gun to try and shoot this guy. But then he tries to wrestle the gun away and accidentally shoots and kills Blake in the process, which is the manslaughter charge that Jimmy is being held uh, held for in the beginning of the movie, which is ridiculous because he was defending himself. Yeah, that is that is very true. I would like I would also uh, like to take a moment to actually issue an apology to the mm-hmm. Bane versus Batman fight in The Dark Knight Rises. Yes, because this is the single most awkward and terrible looking physical fight scene in any movie ever like the score is just not there and they're just sort of randomly wrestling with each other for a few seconds blake was trying to kill jimmy how in the hell was he then held for manslaughter it makes no sense that's a very good question the police alerted by Al storm Blake's hideout and arrest his men along with Jimmy. Back in the present, the judge understands why Jimmy accuses his parents, acquits Jimmy of manslaughter. Even though, like, then, he's definitely yeah. guilty of. Okay, well, he's not really guilty of manslaughter for the reasons you said, and he's right. definitely guilty of the other things. But also Char- charges of possession of stolen property, and he gives him a five-year suspended sentence and two years probation. No real criminal court in the 1940s would have let him off on probation by the excuse of use of my parents didn't treat me well. Well, actually, Chris, uh, historically, sentencing standards were actually less harsh back then because there wasn't the as much of the prison industrial complex than there is today. Oh. Uh. And mandatory minimums and all these other tough-on-crime laws. Well, shit. Well, so historically, you're wrong. <laughs> uh, but then he uh, turns to the audience. He says, you know, I think I we all learned something today. And that is that you need to care for your children and not be neglectful drunks that are horrible to your kids. It becomes a PSA practically out of nowhere. <laughs> like, I mean, only if you're unfamiliar with other exploitation scare films from the 1940s, which I'm assuming you aren't. You are not. I, like, for some like, reason, am. <laughs> without, the, without the context 
of the of the of the other of other films in its genre. You gotta know the genre. It just suddenly becomes a PSA at the very end. <laughs> and the film concludes with a title card informing the audience that the production company is paying all costs to send the film overseas to enter to entertain troops fighting in World War II, and I'm sure they were not happy to receive this. Oh God! Uh, so yeah. yeah. <laughs> imagine this... imagine fighting imagine fighting in World War II when you're like. Oh man, Hollywood sent us a sent us a, a, a film to actually keep us entertained while we deal with the horrors of war. And then the movie is I accuse my parents. <laughs> Dear so, God, the acting is terrible. The writing is god awful. It twists an otherwise under an otherwise ordinary exploitation premise and does it so poorly that it becomes an unintentional like parody of it, yes. uh, which makes it funny on its face. Um, besides that also, the music is bad, although I do like singing it a lot when I'm in the, in the shower, I go, are you happy in your work? That's a good song. <laughs> no, it's um, not. <laughs> Kitty Reed is bad, and her weird duplicitous relationship with Jimmy is bizarre. Yeah, because she has because... a relationship with Jimmy, yeah. and she comes off as genuine, but also she seems to be having a direct, having some sort of an affair with Mr. Blake. Right. Um, because and, here's the thing, is that when when she's watching him go into the, his criminal path, she's just watching this and just kind of like, okay, this okay. is fine. <laughs> this is fine. This is all fine. It's fine. Don't worry about uh, it. I think Kitty Reed should have been investigated also. If we're talking about who's actually at fault in this movie. Yeah, I if think anything, really, I feel, if, if anyone is manipulating him. It's Kitty. It's Kitty. <laughs> like, right. And the Kitty, par- Kitty like goes the parents are free. Like, the parents are bad, but like... They're not really to blame here. <laughs> right. The parents did not make him take the IOU from the mob member, and they didn't make that make him answer to nothing, uh, ask no questions when he got those packages. But you, there is one interesting thing, and that is the theme of alcoholism in the film, which is that uh, he denies uh, any drinks in the beginning of the film. He says, no, I've had too many, but it's obvious he doesn't drink at all. Because his yeah. parents are drunks, right. and then and later on he says, "Oh, I've had too many again." Halfway through the film, and then later on, when he's with Kitty and the, and the mob men, he has sh- two glasses of champagne. It shows <laughs> it, it is piloting his moral decline. You see, <gasps> oh my it's God. foreshadowing. Wow, okay. what yeah. cinema? Yeah, well, the direction's awful, um, but it's also kind of awful in that way that it's hilarious. It's kind of a reefer madness two-parter. You could watch this with reefer madness. It'd be a lot of fun, you know, put this on at a party, and uh, so long as you have something else to talk about, it'll be pretty interesting. Um, but yeah, this movie's bad. Chris, uh, what did you think of this movie? I mean, I also think this movie is really bad. I can't say, like, it's, I mean, like, the acting is bad. The songs are terrible. Um, <laughs> the the characters are the 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 direction is bad it's very stagey material is yeah it's very stagey but not even in a good kind of like like because there's good ways to do stage like uh, alfred hitchcock's rope that's a good stagey film yeah but But this is like stagey in a in a cheap way like this this feels stagey in in a cheap community theater designed to tell kids (laughs) not to do drugs um kind of stage brought to you by the dare program <laughs> it's like it's like remember that episode of community where annie puts on the play for the kids to not do drugs and Pierce <laughs> comes out dressed as drugs um that, it, it, it feels like that except less funny um yeah um so and, overall and uh, uh, uh so the uh, it's it's hard for me to be mad at it because one it is 
unintentionally hilarious in many ways. And two, it feels like there's not a lot of substantive material. There's not a lot of there there. To be it's only 68 at, minutes. To be, yeah, it's only 68 minutes. And within those 68 minutes, it doesn't really feel like a lot happens for most of it. <laughs> like, it's, it's very, again, the direction is very nonchalant and weirdly casual for what's supposed to be, like, a shocking story. Well, this is how the exploitation in B-movies of the era was. They just put down a camera and say, act, 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 you, you monkeys, act. And then they just assemble it in the editing room. They didn't give a shit. That's not how directing <laughs> works. <laughs> That is how it worked in the 40s well, with exploitation that's films. That's not how directing works at all. <laughs> wow. No wonder if, no wonder this guy was able to crank out over 250 movies if they're all yeah. if they're all not actually directed. <laughs> um, so, so yeah, Chris, uh, which one did you think was better? Did you think Night of the Comet or I Accused My Parents was a better it's movie? Night of the Comet. Like, Jesus. It's not even a question. <laughs> like, I have to ask. That's what we do at the end of every episode. Now, true. at the end of every episode, we also spin the wheel. I spin an RNG from 1 to 100, and that chooses what film we will watch next. Now, the list, uh, the hazard meter is at 28%, and because of the sequel, prequel, inclusion rule, we can't veto a sequel, prequel, or remake. That so there's true. a 28% chance that whatever we're going to land on, we'll have to watch. So, Chris, shall I spin the wheel? I believe you shall. I believe you shall. All right, that brings us to number 44. Number 44 is Psycho 2. We have mandatory viewing. Psycho 2, (laughs) the good one. Yeah. Are we sure? Yes. Anthony Perkins, baby. Okay. I just, like, I... Written by Tom Holland. (laughs) (laughs) Spider-Man. Not that one. Man, I can't believe Tom Holland went back in time six years before he was born to write Psycho 2. <laughs> All right, we got Psycho 2 in the books. That's mandatory viewing. So oh now boy. we got to spin the wheel again. Shall we spin the wheel? I believe so, yes. All right, that brings us to number 57. That's Night of the Demons. Night of the Demons is a 1980s cult classic horror film uh, starring Linnea Quigley from Return of the Living Dead. Do you want a veto to find a second option? Chaos, chaos, chaos. Yeah, chaos, let's do it. <laughs> All right, we're taking the chaos route. All right, that brings us to number 69. Nice. nice. <laughs> and that brings us to, oh, mandatory viewing. Oh, the no. 1993 Body Snatchers film. Okay. <laughs> so in three weeks, we'll be covering in Body Snatchers from 1993 and Psycho Go 2. Two. two sequels. Hell yeah. Oh, boy. It begins. <laughs> So anyways, what's been going on in the in the space galaxy stuff? Oh my god, you see? They're, they're still gonna shoot us with their lasers! I think what you should do is you should talk to him and maybe try to make amends. You know what? That might just be worth it. Brother? Yes, brother. Do you have anything to say before I kill you from death? Uh, yes? Uh, look, I know I'm sorry. When that grenade went off, I should have been the one to jump on it and save your life. As my elder brother, I'm very, very sorry. And besides that, I'd also like to apologize for all these unpaid taxes. (laughs) But you see, my brother, I am going to the Well of Souls to reconnect my soul to my physical body. And once we do that, my brother, we can conquer the galaxy 
And when we conquer the galaxy, we can finally take our rightful place as the rulers of the proto-humans. Oh my god. You and me, brother and brother, together, we will rule the universe. You know, brother, that is a good plan. But how do I know you will not betray me again? Because, brother, you are my blood. My ghost blood. And I will never abandon you. Alright, well that that seemed to have worked itself oh, out. Oh, so, uh, okay. So, um, now uh, it seems that Starcock wants to become a galactic dictator. Did you say you wanted to become a galactic dictator over this, Starcock? Uh, don't worry about that. That's not something you need to concern yourself with, Brian. I don't, that's not, that's, I don't know. It's not a problem. It seems like kind of an issue. <laughs> So yeah, and uh, yeah, that seems to have wrapped itself up. So what's gonna happen with the ghost taxes now? Oh, they're they're uh, are they forgiven, brother? They will be forgiven upon my reincorporation with my body. So I shall be Starcock Three then. Yes, you shall, brother. Starcocks oh together. Anyway, uh, that it seems to have wrapped everything up. Uh, so yeah, Chris, uh, what what are we doing next week? Okay. So next week uh, will be Amphibia Season One, Second Half for real this time. We swear. <laughs> we're we're. Good. I like Starcock Three more than Starcock Two. Nobody asked you. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, next next week we're going back to the Frog Show Amphibia to to cover how Season One uh, c closes off. So that should be a lot of fun. In the meantime. This has been Hipster and the Nerd, and we do this every week. And you can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and all of your major podcast platforms. Please leave us a nice five-star review. Um, spread the word on social media. Uh, subscribe on Spotify and vote in the polls and answer the Q&As. And uh, again, spread the word. Hashtag hipster and the nerd help us grow the show. We very much appreciate it. I am Chris Hanna. You can find me at MegaNerd98 on Twitter and on Letterboxd. And you can also find me on my WordPress page, MegaNerd's Musings, home of geeky ramblings and self-indulgent fanfiction. There's nothing self-indulgent about this show, though. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> anyway, nothing at all. Brian, where can they find you? Well, you can find me on Letterbox at bbreck2. You can find me on Twitter at brianbreck. You can find me on... Sh Sorry, I just... Uh, I, uh... You can find me on uh, YouTube at brianbrecker. Or you can find me on Facebook. No, don't don't <laughs> add me on Facebook. <laughs> you still have Facebook? Yeah, sure. Facebook Marketplace. It's where you get all the best movies shipped into space. Oh, I see. I see. That yeah. makes sense. Mm-hmm. Wait, what was that, Starcock? Did you say you wanted to purge the inferior humans? What, what was that? <laughs> Wait, anyway. what? Uh, so, yeah, and uh, seize the means of Applebee's. Okay, okay. Uh, you, 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 all right. So, thank Hashtag you. cancel Applebee's. Oh, yeah, because the Applebee's executive was like, gas price, higher gas prices are good, actually, because that means we can lower employee <laughs> wages. And we Hashtag we, we seize the means of Applebee's yeah, for so, real this time. So thank you, everybody, for listening. Seize the means of Applebee's, and we will see you next, next time. time. What do you think of the, the plot twist? Are you happy in 
really send you on your way? Do you greet each day? And is it a deal, a real appeal? Feel you're earning your pay? Are you grateful you're alive? Is your day full, nine to five? Living in the rhythm that I'm speaking of. You'll be happy in your work if you're in love. Are you happy in your work? Though your banker or a clerk, are your dishes as delicious as your happy grin? Do your hours spin? And are you a glow to check shepherd? No, you're making your tea. Do you carry crumbs away? Are you merry with your tray? Living in the rhythm that I'm speaking of. You'll be happy in your work if you're in love. A pretty flirty way Does he keep you gay And is it a break To bake a cake Make a dainty souffle Are you lively Are you hip Are you jivey Ride and step Living in the rhythm That I'm speaking of You'll be happy In your work If you're in love Crazy, I just don't give a fuck. <laughs>